All right, so what we're going to do this morning and the rest of our time together um, is we're going to dig into the Word of God. Uh, we believe at Family Bible Church that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. I didn't always believe that, but God convinced me otherwise in my life, and he convinces others here that otherwise as well. And so we're going to dig into it. Now, what's interesting is this is a study that we started back in January, and we took uh, some time off from it because of some other things that were happening. And so we're jumping back into the Ephesians study. We're going to wrap it up. And um, not today, but we're going to wrap it up over the next few weeks. And so we're excited to see what, what God does through this series. I want to remind you, if you've not been with us before for the Ephesians series, you know, Ephesians is one of the books of the Bible. There are 66 books that are in this one book we call the Bible. And Ephesians is, is a letter. It's, you might hear it's called, um, uh, what's the word? It's like um, epistle, epistle, which is a funny name, a church name for a letter. <laughs> so you could write a, an epistle to your friends, I guess, if you want to be... Uh, Thank you, your friends think you're weird. Um, so, but it's a simply a letter that Paul wrote to this church in Ephesus that started when he was on an evangelistic mission. He felt that God had called him to go to Ephesus and share the gospel. And when he showed up, and he, showed up he, he found some people who agreed with what he was trying to do, and he began to use them to spread the gospel, and then he moved on. And this letter is a letter he wrote back to the church to encourage them in the way that they should be, okay? Letter of Ephesians, right? Now, um, what we talked about before in Ephesians is Ephesians as a book of 66 books has six chapters, right? And by the way, when it was originally written, it was a letter. Like, it was just like a, you know, and Paul's great on run-on sentences, but it was just like a long letter. But here's the thing. So this letter divides almost perfectly in half at chapter 4. And, and if you were here for the first part of the Ephesians series, you'll recall that all Paul talked about when he began his letter to the Ephesians, the only thing he wanted them to know was the reality of who they are in Jesus Christ. Let me explain this to you for a minute if I can, okay? When you come to have faith that Jesus Christ is God, that he is Savior, that his death on the cross was for our sins, the word says that a the Holy Spirit of God is implanted, embedded in you. And the rest of your life is the working out of the Spirit's presence in your life. I mean to tell you, and this is coming from someone who was far from God, that the things of God became visible to me, even if I couldn't quite get there yet. Something fundamentally changed. And this is the true, not just for me, but this is true for others who are here who have this experience of knowing God and having him work from the outside in. Let me tell you a problem in the, most, in, in, in the, in the church a lot of times. And this, I say the church, like I don't mean, but I mean a lot of churches, and, and I'm not, because we're no different, we have this tendency to want to get things right from the outside in, right? The first thing you do is you act right, and then you dress right, and then you speak right, and then you pretend you're right. But the problem is that Jesus said people like that are whitewashed tombs. They're pretty on the outside, and they're dead on the inside. The people that are hurting and helpless and lost are dead on the inside, and I was too. And the Spirit of God began to work inside me that began to come out, right? I mean, really, the work when God does in our lives, people in church get uncomfortable with who you are because it's coming from the inside out. You're not putting on airs. You're not pretending you're not a hypocrite. It's real. It's genuine. And, 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 and it changes you. 
the word I've come to realize in hindsight. I didn't know this going in. Nobody told me, oh, when you believe in Jesus, your life's going to change because of the Spirit of God is in you. But it's come to be true. I've come to realize what's been happening all this time. The Bible helps me understand what's been happening. So Paul spends the first three chapters of Ephesians explaining to us the reality of who we are in Jesus Christ. If you've missed that, I would encourage you to go back and check it out. As a matter of fact, uh, the book is only six chapters, and you can read it in about an hour and a half if you sit straight through and read it. And, I mean, it's just a few pages, but you can read the whole book, and you'll see that break if you really pay attention. The first three about the reality of who you are. Now, check it out. I want to say all that because this. Paul then turns the corner at chapter 4, and he says, okay, so if this is the reality of who you are in Jesus Christ, then these are the realities of how you will live in Jesus Christ. So what happens is, and you might, might have heard much more of the second half of Ephesians quoted, right, than you have the first. Because the second half is like, it sounds like rules. It sounds like here's the ought to do's. Here's the new commandments. Here's the new rules you have to live by. But what Paul is saying is that if Christ is in your life, these are the realities of how you will live. This is a manifestation, if you will, a, pr a present reality for your new life in Christ. As a matter of fact, later in chapter 4, there's this concept that Paul throws out there called putting off and putting on. Putting off the old way, renewing your mind, and putting on a new way. Things are totally different in Jesus Christ than ever before. And this reality is made known in the life of believers and so this morning, that's what we're going to talk about from the fourth chapter is the beginning of this living out of the reality of God in our lives. I'll say one more thing before we enter into the word, and that's this. You can't do this of your own power. You cannot read chapter four through six and think you're going you're gonna to fake it till you make it. You're going to act good enough because it's not possible. It's not possible without Jesus Christ. It's not possible without the Spirit of God. By the way, I was gone last weekend, and this is kind of a funny thing for me, but I've had three weddings in a row, three weekends in a row, so it's been like a whole lot of love in the air, you know? A lot of love. <laughs> funny thing is, everyone loves 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not boast. It keeps the records of wrongs, you know? Love never fails. The love that Paul's writing about is the love of Jesus Christ in our lives. You can't do that love without Jesus. Not possible. And so the same is true for the book of Ephesians. Let's don't read it like rules, but let's read it as the reality of what, who we're called to be in Jesus. Okay, we're going to do what we always do here at Family Bible. We're going to pray as we enter the Word. God inspired it to be written. He can inspire us to understand it. If you struggle to understand Scripture, pray before you read it that God would open your eyes to see and ears to hear. Join me in prayer this morning. Father, that is our prayer today, that no matter who we are or where we are, that you would open our eyes to see the reality of your glory. That you would open our ears to hear what you're speaking to us. And Father, that the work that you're doing in our lives would not be work so that we can, you know, others feel better about who we are, but it'd be a real, deep, profound work in our life. That even we, knowing our full sinfulness, would be in awe of your great majesty. That our worship would be a pouring out of your reality in our lives and not something to make us fit into the crowd. We pray, Father, confidently because your word promises your Holy Spirit to deliver us. 
We pray, Father, that you would do that work and that in every way possible we'd set aside our own beliefs about what we got to do, who we got to be, and we would just hear you speak to us about who you are in our lives. May you be glorified as we seek wisdom from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to get into the book of Ephesians. We're going to be studying Ephesians chapter 4. It's on or around 812 of our Bible, if you didn't bring one. If you brought one of your own, you can probably find it. It's toward the back of the book of the Bible. And we're going to kind of just talk through these first few verses here, 1 through 6 of chapter 4 of Ephesians. So this is Paul, and he's been writing this letter about the reality of Christ in the life of the uh, folks in Ephesus. And this is what he says. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I mean, really, that's the crux of what we're going to talk about today. He says, as a prisoner, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. That's an interesting way to start out the second part of this book, that we are called, called by God. As a matter of fact, what's funny is that many people, you know, when you talk about that, we would say, uh, uh, pastors are called by God. K- Kayla Alvarez came up and said she feels like she's called to be a missionary. Our, our folks going to, Guatem- or to um, uh, Africa, Kenya, Africa said, we feel like we're called to be there. You know, for those who went to Guatemala last year, we felt, some of us felt called to be in Guatemala and not go to Africa. But we put people who are called in another category, don't we? I mean, often, right? I always thought, well, other people were called. I want you to see what Paul says to the church in Ephesus today. He says, as a prisoner then, I urge you, those who this is being written to, to live a life worthy of the calling you've received, that you have received the calling. Flip back, if you would, to the first uh, chapter, the first verse. This is what Paul had written this letter. And in case you want to know who the called are, this is what the word says. To the saints in Ephesus the faithful in Christ Jesus. Remember that? The word saints is the holy people in Ephesus. Those who are faithful followers of Jesus. What this means for you is that if you today are saying, I am making an attempt to follow Jesus. I believe he is God and I'm trying to follow him. That means that you have a call on your life. God has called you. I was talking one time to someone in a church and they said, well, this is easier for you because you're a pastor and pastors are called. Everyone is called, Paul says. Everyone is called to live a life worthy of the God that you're following. Jesus invites us to follow him. As a matter of fact, what's funny about the word called, we say called, what does it mean? Does anybody know? Like, does it mean like you get a call on the phone? Does it mean like you're called, like you're calling across the lake? What does it mean to be called? In the original scripture, all it means is to be invited. You know what Jesus said to people? Jesus was crazy. He, 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 was, like, he was like, you know what you need to do? You need to come with me to this organizational meeting I'm having, and you need to stay for a while, and then you need to uh, start to give to the mission of the organization, and then at some point, I will, I will say that you're with me. Maybe. Isn't that what he worked? Is that what he did? Huh? You know what Jesus did? He walked up to fishermen in a boat and said, hey, 
follow me. What? The word called is an invitation. Invited. You're invited. Come on, let's go. Let's do it. And people who were radical enough to believe that this Jesus is fundamentally different than anything else they'd ever seen dared to say, I'll follow you. And that's how simple it was. And from that moment, they were followers. They were invited. They were called. And they were predestined to be believers in the real God and followers of the Savior, Jesus Christ. The same is true today. It's an invitation. Let me tell you another way this word called can be worked out in your life. Have any of you ever received a summons to appear in court? No criminal backgrounds? <laughs> Failure to appear will you know, result in jail time. <laughs> yes. Oh, some of you guys are so clean, it's terrible. All the sinners in this church. I, mean, I have been ordered to appear. All right. Well, how many of you have ever been ordered to appear to judge someone else on a jury? That's right. Well, that's a fun one to get, isn't it? You know, you, oh, you see something, you're like, what does the state want with me? I pay my taxes, and you tear it open, and you're like, jury duty? What? And around here, we have two. I don't know if that's the way everywhere. We have two different jury duties that we get called for. One is like a county or something. The other is like the state, and, you know, one's a bigger mess than the other. And then and you show up, and you sit in that little room all day, right? And there's all these people you don't know, and you, and you wait. You're like at their beck and call. And you're sitting there thinking like, I got a life, dude. I got things to do. How many of y'all love jury duty? Yeah, okay, somebody's being honest. Some people love it. Yeah, I'll sit on that. I'll, I'll, I'll make a deal. Yeah, you are guilty. Now, some of you guys are probably like the other way. Like, you're, you're probably okay. You know what I was thinking. Next time I get jury duty, I'm just going to be like, shh, I ain't going. I'm not even going to respond. How do you think that would go over? <laughs> click, click. You have an order to appear, <laughs> right? Because, huh? It would not go well. <laughs> Guess what, man? That's the same word as called. It means to be summoned. It means to be required to be there, you see? We kind of look at the code like, eh, I don't think so. I'm going to pass this time, Jesus, but you circle around again and I'll think about it, right? No, it's like you are being summoned before the king. Click, click. Show up. You better be there. I wanted to say that to you this morning because it's funny because I think as a church, a lot of times we kind of make it like, well, it's uh, maybe, you know, if I feel like it. Jesus is our Lord and our master, and our responding to him is not just at our discretion. He respects our free choice, but he expects us to respond like jury duty. We better show up. And uh, the cool thing about jury, the cool thing is it's not like jury duty because it's, it's not nearly as boring as sitting in the room all day. I tell you that much right now. It will change everything for you. So, real quickly, I want to walk through here and see. So what does God's call look like then, okay? So if we want to say a couple things, which is everybody who knows Jesus and is following him is called, and that there's a responsibility to show up, and it's an invitation to show up, then what does it look like? And we're going to get our, our kind of underpinnings from the Word of God itself. The first thing I want to share with you is from the, the book of Romans. Romans was also written by Paul. It was written to the church in Rome. You might know one there right now called the Roman Catholic Church. But there was, this was back in the day, and he wrote this. And this is what he said about God's call. It's permanent. 
right? He said, the call of God is permanent in your life. There is not a time that God stops calling you if you've been a follower of Jesus. This is the trouble for people who have like kind of fallen away, we call it, whatever you call it in church, backsliding or, or you know, sinning again or whatever you call it, you know, living an obstinate life, that God never stops calling you to follow him. You want to be a miserable follower of Jesus? Just start following and walk away. You'll be miserable your whole life. You'll be flat and miserable. His call is irrevocable, is what the word says. It cannot be overturned. It cannot be undone. The invitation is standing. So the first thing that we see is that it's a permanent, permanent call. That might sound like drudgery, but later on in, in this book in Ephesians, we're, we won't talk about it this week, but it says that God's call, look at it with me. It's in chapter, chapter four, verse four. This is what it says. Uh, what we're talking about today, this is just as you were called to one hope when you were called, right? And so I want you to know that, that the call of God in your life is not a miserable call. It's a hope-filled call. It's like, it's like the coolest thing you can imagine. And I know some of you folks who ain't been on church, you would think, I can imagine some really cool stuff. And the call of God is cooler than that. It's hope-filled. Matter of fact, it's eternally hope-filled. The third thing I want you to know about God's call, and then we're going to jump on ahead in the scripture this morning, is this, that God's call is required in life that God's call is required in life. Now, I already told you that he makes it, he issues it, but it's required for you to respond to his call. And I, I know this is in Second Peter. Peter was one of the followers of Jesus, and he wrote letters right later. And he, Peter's a great character we can't get into today. He was a mess. I love this man. But he says this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. Now, that's an interesting thing to say, isn't it? He says to the church, Therefore, be all the more eager to make sure that your calling is true and that your election is true. What he's saying is, Therefore, brothers and sisters, make sure you are right with God. There's an eternal, I told you before that the Spirit of God will open you up to a whole new realm of reality. There's an eternal, overarching, beyond humanity theme of life that's eternal that God will open your eyes to. And Peter does not want the church to miss it and to show up for eternity and misunderstand that the calling and election they had received was not real. You know what he's saying? He's saying, go hard, church. Look hard, church. Don't take that pat answer. Don't take the other guy's word for it. Seek it out. Pursue it. Find it for yourself. This goes for every person in the room. And I feel like sometimes we check out and we're like, man, church ain't for me. That's fine, but God expects you to make sure you know where you are with him. He gives you the ability to know it through his spirit. And he's been bugging you in the back of your mind all this time. I only know that because he's been bugging me in the back of my mind all this time. Billy, pay attention. I'm calling you, not pastor. I'm, hear me, church. I'm calling you to know me, to follow me, and to show up and serve. It's God's world, church, and we're living in it. You know what I'm saying? Believe it, the call is required. Peter's great fear here is that the church would get there and be, have been mistaken their whole lives and thought what they were doing was right was not right at all. Make sure of your election and your calling. It's required. So with those thoughts in mind, you know, you might be thinking, well, you know what? I don't even believe in Jesus. I mean, I hope there are people here today that just don't believe 
in Jesus. You say, well, why do you hope people? Because that means we're doing our job as the church. That there are people here who would say, I don't even believe that yet. And I want to say, and this is only true because, you know, I've seen it in everyone's life around me, is that if you're here, God has already started calling you toward him. If you're here, he's already started to beckon you, to invite you in. I always said the best thing the church ever did for me is they didn't make me leave. <laughs> I'm serious. I, I showed up a lot of churches. They made me leave. You don't look right. You don't act right. You just get on. And I did. I just left. And there was one church. They just kept letting me hang around. It's bad news. Because then all of a sudden I start to believe, wait a minute. This God is for me, not against me. This God loves me, doesn't hate me. This God is saving me, not condemning me. Become a believer in Jesus Christ. But here's what I want you to, if, if, if you don't think that this is true for you, I want to ask you some questions this morning. As you work through this list of the permanence of God's calling, hope-filled and required, I want to know in your life, is anything permanent if you don't believe in Jesus Christ? Is there any overarching truth in your life that you would say, this is above everything, that, I mean, above like the daily grind, paying the bills, going to work, doing the thing, live and breathe and die, and is there anything that extends beyond that reality for you, that what I would call permanent? Because the word says that Jesus Christ's domain is permanent, his call is. Or the second question would be, is there anything in your life that fills you with hope? Because I gotta be honest with you, if, if, you are, if you're not believing in, in a bigger story of God in your life, it's hopeless. And you act like you're okay. You have to convince yourself every morning, I'm okay. But it's a hopeless place to be. You're born, you live, you die. What's the point? Why have kids? Why do anything? Hopeless estate. And then the last is that requirement. Are you confident in your plan? You know what I mean? Like I was at one point, I was going to show up and say, let's see it. You know, Woo! praise God. I was delivered from that foolishness. I hope you will seek it with all of your heart, with all of your life, that you would seek the truth and see. All right, so we're going to jump here. Paul encourages us, therefore, to live a life worthy of God's call. God's call. And I, I would point out that Paul says, I am a prisoner in the Lord here. So he says, he is urging us to live a life that's worthy of the call. As one who is pleading in chains, I love that, that you would walk around in a way he is calling with God to say, don't waste your life. Make it matter. Think of eternal things. If you read the Bible, this is said throughout scripture. Look at the big picture Forget the daily, you know, stuff that gets you all caught up. God will provide that. Think about long-term. It matters in your life. The word says that Paul called with when he was encouraging. He was calling with. John Piper wrote a great book. It's called uh, Don't Waste Your Life. And, and, and if you've not read it, I would encourage you to read it. He's a great author, but he wrote this book, and it's just like ravaged with God. He's like, don't waste your life. Don't get to the end and wish it would have been different. Be different now. Seek God in your life. Pursue the only things that matter for eternity. Love, love that idea. The second thing here is that when Paul says walk in a manner that's glorifying, he's saying walk around, peripateo. I told you before my favorite words because it sounds so funny, peripateo. You know, you can almost hear the feet moving. He's saying walk around 
in a worthy manner. And I don't mean walk around like with your halo on or you know, floating in and out of rooms. It means be real, but be seeking God in your life. Walk around in a worthy manner. The Greek word is axios for worthy. Axios. And of course, what did I think of? I have two teenage boys. You know what I thought of when I heard axios? Teenage boys stink. Do you have teenage? Go to camp. You want to go to camp this summer and smell something foul? Like stay with sixth through eighth graders at camp. Foul. And they don't even smell it. Like, have you showered this week? Like, no. Do you like girls? No. <laughs> and the eighth graders are like in the mirror. Yes, I like girls. No, seriously, stink. I thought of the axe, you know. That's what you'll smell too, the axe. So here's the, you know. Bam, going to dinner. That's what you get at camp. And it smells really good and then you get close and it stinks, right? Paul's saying, put on that aroma of God the worthiness of God. Walk around with a beautiful smell, and there's parts of us that stink still that God's working on, but let that aroma permeate our life. Walk around in a way that is glorifying to God, worthy of the call that you've received. Let him permeate your life. I wonder, does your life stink? I know at times mine does. I need God to permeate me. So we're gonna jump through here. What are the marks of a worthy life, according to the Apostle Paul. Starting in verse 2, he says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, Paul says, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You know of Paul, if nothing else, he has high words for God. There's a reality that Paul sees in God that supersedes everything you know and experience. And Paul says here is the marks, humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another, unity, peace. And I look at our world and I look at our church and I don't see a lot of this. I look at my life and I don't see a lot of these things. How could Paul ask us to have these marks in our life? I wonder if you look at your life like when I look at mine, do you see marks that are worthy of the calling we've received? What Paul does in the letter to Ephesus, the church, is he says, all of those marks are rooted in the total, the total presence, the totality of God's reality that we live in and have our being. He roots it all in the very end there. One God, one faith, one baptism, one Savior, one, 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 he says. God is in everything. Therefore, we can have these marks in our life by his gift. Check it out. He says there's one body, one spirit. Listen with me. You're called to one hope when you're called. That's what we talked about earlier. You have one Lord. That means ruler, master, king, savior. You have one faith. You have one baptism. He doesn't mean you were baptized one time. He means that when you were dipped and you were brought out, if you were sprinkled, if you were prepared, if you had the spirit of God, Cornelius in his household had God's spirit poured out on him before he got wet. If you have known Jesus in this way, 
You are sharing in the baptism of belief in Jesus Christ. He says, you have one God, check it out, and one Father of everything, of everyone who is over all, who is through all, and who is in all. Love these words about God. I want you just to go with me for a second here. Paul says, in your life, he says it in my life, that the God that we serve is above us, right? That he's over us. We sing a song here that I love so much because it says, if grace were an ocean, what does it say? We're all sinking. Why is that so powerful? Because we drowned in his grace. We drowned in his presence. He is over all. Everyone, including you. And the word says that he is in all, living and dwelling and breathing in us calling us toward himself. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and drew himself to us. And then the last, and this is great, this is like the summer dedicated to Christ thing, and he is through us. He's manifesting his presence through us in our life. As much as we're authentic and real and seeking and godly, he is working through us to transform us and those around us. What a great and awesome God that we serve. And Paul says that this reality that he's going to open up in 4 through 6, this reality of the life in Christ is permeated with God. He's in our bones. We're like the sponge that starts off small and dry and dead and hopeless and lifeless, and you start to get it wet, and it starts to soak it up, and it gets more and more full and more and more until it's just overflowing with the reality that's always been all around pouring forth God's love in the world, pouring forth his gifts. Check this out. If, when we look at this and we, we, you think through the list, I always want to walk back through that because Paul says, why should I call you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received? Because in the reality of God in your life, you should be humble. And the opposite of hum humility is what? Pride. Right? Pride. And you know what pride says? I got this. I can do this. Pride says, I don't need God. Humility says, I need help. I need others. I need God. I didn't, I didn't manifest my own reality. I didn't make a decision in my mother's womb to be born. God gave it to me. But pride says, nah, I did it. I'm here. Deal with me. It's a mark, and it denies the reality of God's presence. Gentleness. The opposite is like harshness, right? It's like this, this leadership through violent strength versus gentle compassion. Being a hard person says that I want my way, even if I have to force it. If I have to drag you there kicking and screaming, I will have my way in your life. We don't follow a God like that, and we aren't called to lead others like that. We lead in humility. We lead with gentleness. It's an amazing difference. 
You look at patience. I mean, this is an easy one, right? Because who's patient anymore? I'm so impatient. It's crazy. But impatience, you know what that says? God, I don't know what he's doing. I got stuff to do, man. God, get with it. And it denies that there's a sovereign God who is over all, in all, and through all. I'm trying to encourage you to see the marks here and the lack maybe in your life. Impatience is a lack in belief that God isn't fast enough for you, isn't doing it good enough for you. And we sit and judge the one who made us. And then the last thing Paul says is be united. Be one. He calls us to it. The opposite of that is divisiveness. I'm struck by the fact that dividing is a tool of the enemy. You've heard it said before, right? What do you do if you want to beat an enemy? Divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. Break through the front lines. This is the words of the enemy working against us. What God calls us to repeatedly is unity in Christ. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Working from a divisive perspective says that, you know, we got a better plan for how this should work out than God does. God says, be united in me. I'm enough. My presence is enough. You know, I think that that last one, unite, being united versus divisive, it's probably the worst sin of the church. It's probably the worst sin of the church. And I just want to admit that. Like, the, we just get it so wrong. We just divide. We split over everything. And we just cut it up. And in the end, the world looks from outside and just says, what's wrong with those people? there's this story that's told about these two pastors on an island. They can't get along. They just can't stand it. They get along for a while, and then they think, I got better ideas. And they, they all, they go start their own church. A few years go by, and the rescue team shows up, and there's three buildings, two pastors. Hey, what happened? And the one pastor said, well, after we built that one, I didn't agree with the guy who built it. You know, it was divisive. God says, be unified. One God, one Savior, one Lord of all. I want to encourage you today that you can live this life. And so I'm going to give you, here's the, here's the things you can do if, you, if you're interested, if you're interested in doing this. You can take an inventory of your life. And this is no matter where you are. If you've been in church forever, if this is the first time you come through the doors, if you're a young person, you've never taken your faith seriously, you're here because mom and dad made you come, you can take inventory of your life. You can, that just means you can go through and see what you got going on. But I would encourage you to do three things. I would encourage you when you're doing your inventory to be honest with yourself. What do you really hold fast? What's the real markers in your life that you say, these things matter to me? No one's watching. Do it in your own time, but be honest with what your life's about. The second thing I encourage you to do is be thorough. Look in all the nooks and crannies. Dig back into the stuff in your childhood that's got you all messed up. Look at the stuff in your relationship right now that ain't working right. Be honest and be thorough in your search of how your life is going. And the last thing that I would encourage you to do is be ready because this stuff is going to matter. In the end of your life, what you have based it on will matter. And if you have just believed what you were kind of born into, if you just kind of fell out and took it up and ran with it and thought, what the heck, it's good as anything, I would encourage you to consider it because God takes it seriously. Be ready for that. Life is a breath away from being over for each one of us. This life that we claim to own, 
to control. And as Albert reminded us earlier, it's fleeting, it's fast. The Bible has a way forward for all of us, and it's three steps. Confess, repent, believe. Now, you might be here and you go, I believe in Jesus. Listen, if you do an inventory of your life and you find something, right, you confess it, you repent of it, that means you change it, and you believe that God is enough, that he is over all, in all, and through all. And if you're here and you don't believe in God at all, I would encourage you to take an inventory of your life and ask that question. And if you find some area, some little area where you go, man, maybe, confess, repent, and believe. When Jesus walked around, that's what he said to the church. He was calling. Repent and believe the good news. It's a simple invitation. I'm going to ask the band to come back up and lead us in our final song. I'm going to ask you to pray with us as they do. Father God, today, we give you glory and praise because you are worthy. We thank you so much because of your reality in our life. And Father, you know, our own journeys and how we got here today, but I pray, Father, that in our innermost being, you're working to save us, that you're doing your will. And Father, that today, no matter what happens and what's going on, that we would not be so deaf, so blind to not see your great love for us. May we acknowledge the fact that you are over in and through all of us. We love you so much. We thank you for everything you've done and the way you've done it. And we'll give you praise and glory because you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.